Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Needle Mice podcast. This is episode five, The Creators. And that was our new theme. Now, Miles uh, isn't actually on the uh, show at at this time, but uh, he worked hard and created us a new version of our theme. So thank you very much, Miles. Uh, Sorry you can't be on the show, but um, we have a lot of cool people uh, taking part this episode. So first of all, I'll introduce someone who hasn't been on the show yet, uh, Mirai Sikasu. Hey, Mirai. Hey, SoFox. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure to join you and just reflecting on we've it's it's been it's been I think almost 20 years that we've known each other now. Yeah, it's I mean It's been a minute. <laughs> and yet I think this is the first time we've actually had a voice chat with each other. <laughs> Oh god, so many so many years spent in text and then going, you know, it's so much more efficient for us just to talk. You know, just just get get the words out there. Yes, it kind of is. I mean, of course over the years the voice tech has changed. It's not like you could do it with a classic dial-up and it's not like you could do it over IRC. But then Skype mm-hmm. came, but then Skype was its own little bundle fish and then there were Mumble and <laughs> I am pretty sure they must have been people in the Moogle Cavern who first voice chatted with each other over Team Fortress 2. Oh, wow. Yeah, I totally missed that one when that happened, but wow. <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Um, so you'll be talking about some of the uh, voice acting project and, and other projects you've been involved in. Uh, but before we get into that, um, we'll uh, talk to everyone else who's here. So we've, joining us again is Keith John Stack. Hello. How are you? I am fine, thank you very much. Uh, it's it's good to have you. It's thanks for joining again. Uh, thanks for having me again. Awesome, and uh, we also have Matt as well. Uh, Matt Ty, um, uh, good to have you again as well. Yeah, hello again. Good to be back. Great, and uh, of course also uh, we have Nicholas Petrella. Hello, all you uh, Moogle Caverneer Caverneers. And needle micers, mousers, mousers. I'll go with I'll go with mousers. Mousers. Okay, so that's that. That's is that what we're going with? Like everyone who's listened to this is a mouser. Hello, all you mousers out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, why not? I thought up the name on the very first episode, so I figure uh-huh. you know everybody's a mouse. Anybody who listens to this, uh, you're officially a mouser, a mouse, a mouseketeer. We no, I can't say mouseketeer because. <laughs> uh, uh, you, know, you know, the evil corporation that owns everything will uh, come and, you know, oh, that end this podcast years. immediately. Yeah. Don't say their name too loud. They might monetize this. Oh. Mum's the word. Gap. Shocked gasp. Um, yes. We will We will avoid the, uh, the, uh, the, the mouse and must and we will avoid the uh, mouseketeers and the muskehounds and what have you. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Mouse is a thing. Mouse is a thing. Yeah, thank you. Um, glad some people recognize that. Okay. Um, so to start off with, boy, we were we ended up chatting about a couple of things before we got started. Um, I guess we'll start with the very basic one. So, Mirai, um, what have you been up to in the last 20 years? 
Oh, Lord. Well, back in my halcyon days, I was attending high school where I proceeded to go with my father to see a marching band, and I joined the marching band later, and then I joined another marching band. No. So, it's, <laughs> I don't even know where to start, but so, over, I work <laughs> as a voice actor out of Dallas, Texas. I work in a lot of video games. Uh, Japanese anime, online creations, uh, various animators, and also educational content, and have been performing in that for about the last six years. I'm originally from the East Coast, uh, from the ever so infamous state of New Jersey, and had a chance actually to slowly meet the some MCers and Sirs one by one by living near New York City and just various other instances that brought us together. But primarily right now, I am working on a lot of mobile games and also do a lot of creations with the YouTuber Afmau and also had been, um, had been working to, had been working on uh, judging for a recent game jam that was held on itch.io by the video game developer, uh, Team Dog Pet out of Austin called Sim Jam. So we just finished that up last night and are uh, getting ready to review all the games that came in. Cool. Um, as I said earlier, I actually uh, I knew that Sim Jam was on and I may have tried given a shot to, at entering it, but just way too busy. The, the whole idea of actually creating like a video game environment that like, you know, goes on by itself and then you, the player more interferes with it and directs it rather than controls it. I think I think that's a fascinating uh, area of games, to be honest. Yeah, and I'll say game jams are such a fascinating thing. Video games are dear to my heart, have been ever since, well, the Moogle Cavern back when we were all brought together by Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. and similar series. And um, so some of my life, some of the events that really just set the course of my life were tied to video games and even one in particular that started as a game jam game and later went on to a full Steam release just gave me a complete fresh start at life the person that i worked with and going from there okay um what what game was that by the way it was a game called slam fighter 2 also by team dog pit it is a rhythmic fighting game where you fight with smack talk if you imagine like the <laughs> love child of ddr and mavis beacon teaches typing where your two opponents set up in the street fighter kind of style and to the rhythm you're typing out insults so that you can be able to defeat your opponents to ascend to obtain what is known as the Philosopher's Burn, which will allow you to deliver <laughs> the most sick burns in the world. Oh, boy. So, whoa. Um, that, that is definitely a Game Jam game, and I'm glad it, it got a second uh, lease of life and became an actual release as well. The uh, amount of content that went into it, it had six fully voiced characters as every attack and... Every attack and hit was voiced, so it was it was a lot of content for a month long development period. Yeah, um, sorry, I'm just thinking. Uh, Red Rapper, who we had on the show uh, last time, uh, I believe he uh, worked on Dive Kick or was it Drop Kick? That 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 fighting game that literally you only had one yeah. single move, yeah. attack move. Yeah, I played that attack. So that was yeah, literally you had a dive and a kick button, and that was. That, that brings back memories, and I remember seeing that. I think he did that a few years. Yeah. I want to say it was the early 2010s, I think I remember that. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I think something like that. It, it, it seems that sort of time period. So in, in your case, I mean, I imagine for an insult fighting game, I, which suddenly is making me think of Monkey Island now that I think about it. Um, <laughs> I guess I guess the voice is really important in cases like that. Because, you know, if you don't really feel your typed insult coming across and hitting the opponent, then, you know, the game would lose a bit of its oomph. Yeah, and it was, it was a lot of fun because it, it was very... It was a lot of satire on anime archetypes and whatnot. The, the two characters that I had played, one of them was Sergei Unescu, who was a time-traveling cosmonaut who had all of these anachronistic phrases, and a lot of his a lot of his insults were all twists of either rap or pop culture. So there were lines where I was talking. I was. I had things based on Ludacris and Biggie Smalls, and I had. I had to learn. I had to learn rhythm for rap, and it was a uh, challenge. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, um, I mean, like, you. I remember back in the. I mean, the fact that you went this way is 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 not surprising. I mean, you always struck me as a bit of a kind of a theatrical person. I mean. You even had that thing where you made all their text silver and italic, so that like when we were scrolling the post, even in a purely text format, you made sure your, the tone of your voice stood out. <laughs> yes, I, I'm, I'm one of those who never could quite conform. So back in the days where we could customize things to all high hack, and it's just yes, silver, silver, italicized, serif. Primarily Times New Roman text, and it, it. I always loved, the, I always loved theatrics and theater. Back when I was a kid, uh, a lot of the Robotnik voice actors originally, like Long John Baldry, rest in peace, Dean Bristow, they were inspirations. That I loved that hammy, over the top kind of performance that yeah. you could just laugh and enjoy something that was more bigger than real. And over the course of many years, I, I went in a different direction originally. I was originally planning on going into government. My college studies were in international affairs. And I went to Washington, D.C. And then, and then kind of realized that, oh, so when you have long red hair and kind of your own, your own flavor of worldview, you don't fit in very well when no one wants to hire you. Oh, and also, if they want to hire you, they don't want to pay you. So, <laughs> I found my escape in a lot of fandom, uh, cosplay in particular, because I treated it as the ability to perform. A lot of MCers, I know we used to meet up at Otakon and places like that. And eventually, a very good, someone who is one of my best friends now, I remember I was goofing with them at a con, Anime USA 2010, they grabbed me by the arm, called me an asshole, and dragged me to an open audition where they announced that they were the casting director for an indie game that was starting up. And it, um, it, it dropped the seed going, wait, that's right. You can create as a career. And it was a total 180 where... After trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do and just even getting over the fear of, okay, well, my, my parents are going to kill me because this is a career that doesn't come with benefits and uh, any kind of security that eventually I had found a coach to start working with and started to develop up formal 
acting training and then started developing up the brand because one challenge of voiceover is you you're marketing your ability to perform and going all right you need a certain type of character i got it right here let's go yeah exactly because that's because if if you know the people on the other end they just they just want to flip a switch and get the exact voice that they want out of it you know obviously if they're really good at their job they'll they'll give some encouragement and guidance and pictures of the art but at the same time mm-hmm. you know it's it's a little like what red rapper was saying last week you know you're expected to deliver something really quickly and uh well expected to yeah. deliver something and yeah i mean so Basically, you sounds like you got press ganged into being a voice actor. <laughs> Some somewhat, slightly, slightly, horse slightly dragged to water, and then all of a sudden went. You know that water looks really tasty. <laughs> oh my! I can't stop drinking it. <gasps> yes, I, I have to say, quench you. <laughs> Boy, that that fr- that that friend of yours must have been a great friend to actually forcefully <laughs> make you do something that ended up being so beneficial for you. Yes, and she still calls me an asshole nowadays because, you know, I, I grew up outside of the Philadelphia area, so it's just, that's a term of endearment. Okay. Point. All right. Um, well, it's, it seems your voice acting career seems to be good. Um, I've got your uh, IMDb page here. If you, you can say your real name if you want, but uh, just even looking through it, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff here. Um, so so one, th- one thing for joining everyone here is for many years i always tried to keep a very private a a very private persona because the internet is a place where if you're not careful bad things can happen to you and if you put yourself out too boldly for better and worse some people going back to the days of encyclopedia dramatic and whatnot they'll they'll just find everything to wreck a public image if they don't like something about you for one reason or another and so my my birth name is michael azekas and i had finally started developing a public persona as it was it's it's a sort of thing that you either need to have your stage name or a birth name because it it's ultimately your brand and it was, it was it was nice to balance things out and feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yes, I mean, I, I understand that myself. I mean, to be honest, at this stage, I guess SoFox kind of is my brand, at least in a lot of ways, except when I'm getting a direct job. Well, I mean, at least online, but when I'm getting a direct job, I normally stick with my birth name and such because mm-hmm. of that. And I've got a few others. Um, but you, you are right. Uh, the whole Encyclopedia Dramatica is is this whole thing in and of itself. Um, but if you, um, but before we go into that, I'm just kind of looking through some more of your credits. You you were in the game Techno Babylon, right? That was by Wadjadai yes. Games. Yeah, I love that game. It's kind of like cyberpunk point and click adventure pixel art sort of game. And uh, yes. That game was a lot of fun. I was I I didn't even know quite what I was doing until I was on the spot and suddenly the I got in the booth and the creator goes, Your character is Martin Easter. He is a Polish medical student. he's a Polish medical assistant who is uh, he likes to inflict himself with diseases because that's what all the kids are doing in the <laughs> world of Techno Babylon. And he goes, Alright, I need a Polish accent and I need you to completely butcher all your words because you're you're you have 
aphasia what you've inflicted yourself. So you just talk out of nonsense whenever the player clicks on you. Oh boy, yeah. Aphasia seems to be one of those things that pops up. Anyway, but yeah, so I basically was played years ago. I played that game when I was listening to your voice. So that would have been the first time I heard your voice then, technically. <laughs> when you uh, experience a uh, screaming pile of biscuits, that's uh, when you. That's it's it's quality work when the video game goes into that that uh, manner. I, I don't even know. I'm I'm throwing I'm throwing the manor against the wall, and I don't know where the pasta happens to be manifesting in the sunrise. <laughs> that that is. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. Uh, of course, games like that, you know, they can ha- even even you know these are the sort of performances that really make up the world of this sort of ge- these, those sort of games. Um, and the rest of the game is so serious too so it's 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 fun the creator just going between light and dark and um yeah the the studio that produ- that had done all the development um technocrat i think they're working on another one they've been for a few years but they they do great work cool um yeah there's also uh, there's also shardline i haven't played that one uh you've also done stuff on tokyo ghoul um which i think a lot of and at uh, that time, I got reincarnated as a slime, which is <laughs> cool. Yes. You, there's a lot of cool stuff here. Um, anything specifically you want to draw attention to, or, or that you're happy with, or excited about? So I had a few had a few games in particular that were really a blast to work on. Probably the most the most exciting that I was that I enjoyed a lot was uh, working on Nobunaga's Ambition Taishi as Noda, uh, Oda Nobunaga that Koei Tecmo has been, well, the series has been running for about 35 years and had an opportunity to work with a producer who he was handling the game. And now one thing about voiceover is that you, you won't necessarily see what it is that you're working on. So there's many stories, people who audition for big Nintendo franchise and things will say, uh, I just got sides, I could kind of figure out what it is, but they're very protect many game companies are very protective because they don't want anything slipping to that might compromise leaks basically just just being able to announce something and get the hype going for it so yeah i mean i had odd yeah yeah oh i just remembered there was a there's an extremely high profile leak that happened recently but i'm not sure we need to cover it but uh there is a yeah I don't think we need to cover it because for multiple reasons, including the fact that the company has started DMCAing uh, people who talk about it. So that way, if I don't mention anything about the game and I upload this to YouTube, we won't get DCM8. But I will say, <laughs> they do people who can. There is a credible belief that the uh, that the leaks will actually impact the sales of the game. Whether that'll happen or not, I'm not saying. I'm just saying people who believe it certainly don't believe it. Certainly have a foundation to their belief. What? Yeah. But yeah, but of course, uh, leaks have been happening so... And then of course, you know, they, 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 they... Yeah, sorry, go on. Oh yeah, no, because I know all of us in our different fields of creating, we ha- we're, we're just bound by different NDAs and things. And even so, as you saw, I, when I moved to Dallas, I started doing a lot of work for Funimation. I, I, I started working on anime with Media Blasters back in the New York area. And we had produced a few things, such as um, Juden-chan. Uh, I Know Kusabi is the largest series I had worked on for that very uh, dystopian kind of world in which I was a human trafficker named Katsai. 
And so I worked with them, and then when I came down to Dallas, had the opportunity to start working with Funimation. You'll be called in to work with someone, and you don't necessarily know what it is you're going to do unless you're following the directors and what show they have. So in many cases, I would be called in by one particular director, and suddenly it turns out, all right, today we're doing My Hero Academia. Today we're doing the One Piece movie. Today we're doing Hakyu Hoshinengi, and here's where we're going with that. And they'll, uh, particularly if you're doing what's called Walla, where it is uh, extra work that's done in the booth to be able to set the sound for everything behind the main characters, then you'll you you might be bounced around between three, four different series. So you'll just keep you'll switch from thing to thing to thing for however long the directors want to use you. Okay, and so I guess in this case, I'm not just diving into watching tons of anime, I am doing research that's critical for my paying job. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I can imagine that certainly is much of a... <laughs> you, you, that bit probably appeals to you a lot. It's, it, it definitely is interesting. Now, it's, it's a unique field because anime most voiceover and i know nick you can talk i know you can talk about this as well is how often we'll have auditions reaching out to new clients trying to be able to present ourselves as a product and in anime there are very few auditions because anime is produced at a very breakneck pace essentially when something is when something comes from japan because they want to try to get something released ahead of any kind of fan subs or other gray slash black market content and so they'll be they get you in the script needs to be done like that some studios there i've heard stories where they'll even be revising the script while the session is going on because they're still working on the time coding and the localization and uh then once everything's recorded just get it produced so it'll be done anywhere from two weeks at the longest uh, you might have a movie where they'll have a set release date, like the One Piece movie, Human Lost, but then you'll have something like My Hero Academia, Tokyo Ghoul, where they're considered same-day releases, so they're prioritized that they're in production at the exact same time as the Japanese studio. Whoa. So so basically, you, the, you basically get the scripts from the Japanese version that they have to, well, I mean, not you, but the studio, and they have to translate it. But then what happens if the Japanese studio makes a revision to the scripts just before recording and you don't have that revision? Or... Uh, it's an interesting question. I don't think... I can't speak to that because I've mostly been on the performing side. I did, I did work directing a video game a few... It was about two years ago. But I'm afraid I can't speak about that side of the glass in anime. Not okay. personally. No, that's fair enough. But I, I never quite appreciated how fast it was, but it makes total sense. There is um, an anime that I'm waiting for to be released on on Netflix, but I will confess I may have watched um, parts of it um, through other means, so to speak. Naughty. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, I, I swear, I am one of the... Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> Nobody else here would ever have done that. <laughs> No, not not at all. I, I everyone's <laughs> revealing how they've watched anime that wasn't legit, just according to Keikaku. Translator fan translators know Keikaku means plan. <laughs> okay, I mean, I I will say that whatever 
I do I generally gener I do generally fully believe in supporting the original creators in whatever way possible, especially if it's something you love. So once it comes to Netflix, I'll totally be watching it again. Um, and even then, we we have a big challenge. Just as a final note, is when something is licensed in different countries, like video games, tend to be nice in the wild west because nowadays they'll get a worldwide release, and it's just a matter of if it's not something that ha is accessible in your language. Y y there's one way or another you can get a game. Mm -hmm. Animated content and anime are still a little tougher because they're the, the contracts are much tighter. So you got to wait on Netflix and localization, and oftentimes it's sad because something won't pop up in your country. Yeah, well, I would have thought with Netflix and I mean like Amazon Prime and and even like Crunchyroll, I thought I thought like the most of the major anime makes it across to Western shore, so to speak. Now it does, yes. So it's, it is nice because it, excuse me, it, it comes across much more easily. So there's, there is such a large pool, but there's, there's a few series that, um, there's a few that might just slip through the cracks and everyone goes, oh, I really want it, but yeah. it's not been localized. Yeah. Um, actually, Netflix is a weird example of it. They've got like a series called Static, uh, you know, about the psychic. And like the first season is totally English dubbed. But then for the a few more seasons, they switched to a Japanese language. And then I think they rebooted the series with English or something. I'm, I'm confused. I just, I was just, <laughs> the point is, it, the point is there was a point where I had to either switch to subs or just stop watching. So, yeah. I know something similar happened with Neon Genesis Evangelion because ADV Films, form, uh, based out of Houston, Texas, what's now basically Sentai Filmworks, they apparently wanted a very large licensing fee to use the original dub. So Netflix had actually gone and produced a new dub, which was yeah. a little source of controversy because they didn't call back the original actors. They went with a new cast, which was... Yeah. It, it's it, it was in it was it's an interesting thing about production i know netflix has been doing a lot more of their own dubs to be able to have more things it's 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 a really interesting topic because they're they're kind of producing their own thing and they're also producing a lot of anime uh, with union talent which is another thing of actors whether they primarily work as non-union or union which it's um it's an interesting change to what's being done what particular how they're doing production yeah um i mean like i don't i mean i don't understand it in except in broad strokes but i mean like i remember the original vo the voice actors of the original version having a minor freak out in twitter when the news was announced but then you know of course supporting the new voice actors but to like voice act something and then feel that you know this is a contribution and you know a whole generation grows up and then find it's being re-released to a new generation, but your voice isn't in it anymore and a completely different person. I mean, and then this, you know, this this thing that you were the voice actor of now, you know, I can I can imagine that must be have been a huge blow to the to the uh, English voice actors to suddenly discover that. Yeah, and it's it's a funny thing because oftentimes one will one will put their heart and soul into their work, and it 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 ultimately is a business but there are some characters that they'll just stay with you because it really is just that 
it, it's just that touching to be able to work with them. Gray Delisle, the former voice of Daphne Blake from Scooby-Doo, she had commented on something to that effect because she was not asked to reprise her role in the, re the recent release, Scoob. And it's the sort of thing, she even telling the stories of how she took over from Daphne's former voice actor, who unfortunately had committed, had committed suicide. Oh. And so the emotional connection that she had working on that, but to go, yeah, I wasn't asked to reprise this. Yeah. It's, it, it hurts. I, I can imagine. I think we all know of uh, projects where they said, why didn't they call in the original voice actors? And, uh, or what have you. Though there was, um, oof, there's, there was a recent movie where they did call in the original voice actor, but it was, it was for an, a, a, like a spoiler just before the credits. So I better not mention it directly, but I think, I think mm. most of you have seen it and know what I'm talking about. And if not, then I'll just tell you outside of the stream. Um, but the one you're talking about. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, like voice actors, it's it's a combination of the animation, the writing, and the voice actors all create this powerful character. And if you change the voice actor, I mean, like, it's not, I mean, there are cases where you can just about make it work, but there is still something fundamental that's changed about it that just, especially if it's done badly, or it's just not a good replacement. And it's just, it is sad because, you know, you're not hearing the same person, even if they're looking and acting the same. It's just different. And it's every now and then there will be some that go in a different direction, though, like the the anime Fruits Basket, with it having been completely redone, I think about 15 years after the original release, the director made a great point to get as much, if not all of the original cast as possible. So they're re they're all redoing their original roles with the new animation. Oh, yeah. No, that's so it's it's fascinating to see the old and new and just the the maturation of people in their careers and what more they can bring to it now with so much experience oh yeah i'm actually um the invader zim movie enter the florpus i thought that was a good example of just you know everyone just cr creating something like over a decade and just pretty much not skipping a beat except except i thought one or two tonal things but i mean like the the characters <laughs> are all pretty much the same and just kept going on it did their did their same shtick and everything Mm. And I need to see that still. Yeah. Um, oh, it's great. Yes. The only thing I'll say about that movie is that it it doesn't have the nihilism of the original TV series. That is literally the only criticism I have on it. That, that and maybe you could argue that Zim is a little more competent than he used to be, but I suppose they had to just to up the stakes for the movie. But I mean, like, more <laughs> competent for Zim is pretty, still pretty damn incompetent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but yeah, they um, it, it was it's a little less it's it's less it's less about how everything is nihilistic. With the original TV series, it was like, you know, the uh, you know the uh, the world of the United States of America was utterly screwed and completely hopeless, and the failed in alien invasion was just almost seemed part of the background of the larger complete desolation. Whereas in this, it's st it it actually is. <laughs> The movie is actually projecting the world as actually being kind of hopeful that has chances to improve and get better and such, which is interesting, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. Um, because and... alien friendship is magic. Uh, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> hey, uh, I have a quick uh, anime dubbing question. 
Uh, you guys might be able to answer. Uh, sometimes I'll watch an anime on Netflix, uh, and I'll watch it dubbed, but with subtitles on, and the subtitles are slightly different from what the characters are saying. Is that a result of the, like, late localization or late translation of a production? Do you guys know? Yes. So that typically will just be something of a script change because the Japanese will be a very literal translation. They might clean it up a little bit just if there might be something grammar-wise grammar they want to fix up because English to Japanese is just such a messy conversion grammatically. Right. Um, but they'll, they'll localize a few things just so it flows a little bit differently there might be a script uh it actually might even change with the performance there have been some times where typically what will happen you'll have your time coders here's where lines get said then you'll have the writers okay here's what we're planning for the script and what we think will match the mouth movements and then one might get in the booth and might go ooh. Yeah, we got about three syllables too many. We got to figure <laughs> out how to change that in real time. And so, you'll work. The directors will go. What, what can we do? What can we do? Um, try this instead. So, I don't know if it either doesn't get back to the subtitling team who handles that, or if it's just kind of it's close enough. It we're good to go. Interesting. Yeah. Out of curiosity, how much like ad libbing have you done when dubbing anime? Not so anime is not much. Well, uh, it, it's it's like a yes and no answer, and I feel right. like every answer I'm giving is long. But um, so the background stuff does tend to be a lot of ad living. You're essentially given, all right, you are high school student, roughly here, create something that fits with the scene. You're on a beach, and there's these muscle alien men who are all obsessed in this culture that's all about eels because anime. <laughs> <laughs> or you are in a magical schoolgirl episode where they are charging people up and to revitalize them because anime. Um, the background, there's a lot of improv for characters that are... For characters that have deliberately written lines, very rarely, but uh, there's been other animated content and even some video games. I, I love some developers because I get to do a lot of improv. That um, like the YouTube animator Afmal, where I might have a script to go off of, but they're much more open to changing things when they're doing episodic things or any kind of animated recording that might just be completely scriptless. Here's just a guide, improv, go. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I suppose with video games, it's easier to improv because there's really no limit to the amount of voice lines you can put in, and you can even like give them different voice lines depending on the situation whereas with the uh, mm -hmm. anime you've got what is it 22 minutes per episode in general just yes. whatever the exact no but it's arbitrary so if you put extra lines into that they're taking away from something else in the episode you know you don't yeah you don't want an ad-libbing extra taking up 10 minutes and all the actual dramatic character development just being squeezed into the rest <laughs> everyone's just talking about coconuts for the entire thing it's, it's you, you might you'll get some series that are a little bit looser than others like pop team epic where it's just all right let, let's just have fun you're not constrained as much by making it fit 
but that is a major, major challenge of ADR because with um, with anything that has a, an already done video, they can't change that, except in really extreme circumstances. I think with video games, with cutscenes, they do a bit more, but you you're just work with it. Whatever you need to do, make it fit. Yeah. Well, I mean, video games, they might actually have the original animation. Well, it depends, I suppose. I don't know how easier it is to reanimate stuff on a video game versus a TV series. Uh, I was going to say, and I think the most major edits I remember were back in the days of uh, four kids where they would make very liberal localizations, sometimes because... Sometimes to change change things like Brock's jelly filled donuts. Sometimes because <laughs> broadcast standards and trying to get uh, trying to get anime on broadcast television channels versus cable. You you've got the censors like what Animaniacs used to joke about and Freakazoid just going no 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 no. You are not putting that joke in there. You are not playing with your balls in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I. There's a game called Quantum Break, and one of the things you sometimes the, the entire world freezes, and you can like take guns from people, so they're just still posed trying to aim their guns, but you know, you've taken their guns away, so they're not holding anything. And anytime <laughs> that I do that in the game, I just say, Haha, now you've been censored by four kids. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Um, but yeah, no, that's, um, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, I it, think, oh, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. I think localization changes can lead to some interesting sort of scenarios that come up, like with the, the Ace Attorney games, for example. Um, so basically when Ace Attorney 1 came out, it was deliberately made sort of generic and not very Japanese so that when they to make it easy to localize into other um, environments and then they they didn't localize it for years and years and years and so you know by the time they were making the sequels the Gen 2 and Gen 3 that the Japanese are thinking well obviously they're not going to bite in the west for this so let's just make this as Japanese as we like and then, of course, they did localize the first game, and it was a success. And so when they came to localize the second game, and they'd made it set in America, which worked for the first game, all of a sudden it runs into, you know, like, they'd set it in Los Angeles, and then all of a sudden there's this, you know, um, a spiritual, like, mm. uh, <laughs> spirit-channeling village in the mountains. And, um, and I think by the end of it, the localized localizers in especially by game four and five were just deliberately making things like as japanese as is humanly possible just go <laughs> try and work this one out go on it's like personal challenge to the localization team and what i really found interesting is when they released the anime of uh, ace attorney they actually when it came out on crunchyroll they had two sets of subtitles for it one which was just the literal translation of the japanese which was, you know, the um, adventures of uh, Narahodori Ricci and Ayasato uh, Mayoi as they attempted to, you know, and Mayoi is eating ramen and all of this in, in Japan. And then the second subtitle set that they had, which you could switch between, was the one that actually localized the same things as the game did. So it was about Phoenix Wright and Maya Fey and Maya eating burgers and stuff. <laughs> 
I am. Um, yeah. I, I remember reading a tweet from, I think, one of the localizers, and they said they worked out this whole internal logic of alternate history of America, where I forget how far went it back. I think it was like World War II, either it didn't happen or happened differently. So a lot of Japanese people came over to America, and it led to this whole cultural fusion sort of thing going on. And they assumed, okay, this is it. America has just become very Japanized in this in this in this Phoenix Wright universe. Yeah, that's right. California in particular, because I think it was um like during the gold rush, like anti-Asian immigration laws didn't get passed during the gold rush or something uh, like that. You know? Ah, oh, that makes that and actually that's makes more sense. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. It, there was a, yeah, there was a, they had the localization team, Janet Shu actually made a big post about it on Capcom Music. And yeah, they had this whole sort of internal logic and this whole sort of internal logic as well for how to deal with um, certain characters in this tiny universe that conform to, to, to like very Japanese views of certain stereotypes. It's like, okay, how do we actually do this in a way that's not going to be super offensive to, you know, whoever we're trying to depict. And, yeah. And I think the big one was, um, uh, Jean Armstrong, the gay French chef, yes. who's very sort of flamboyant and all of that. And the way they got around it without being offensive was that this is a persona of his. Like, it's it's almost like a, I don't want to say a drag act, but sort of a, a different persona of his. And he's actually, in like, by birth, he's none of those things. And he's not very good at being any of them so he's a terrible friend he's a terrible chef which is mentioned in the game he's also terrible at french and he's terrible like he, he acts very stereotypically gay because he doesn't know how to do that because he's bad at all three of these things with the internal logic right that, that actually makes a lot of sense i mean so it's a, it's 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 he's putting on the show a kind of a theatrical persona and uh and it's all part of his idea of just trying to pretend you know, trying to yeah be bad at how he expressed himself. Um, exactly, and there's a bit of a clue in that as well because if you look at the name of the restaurant that he uh, runs, which is Très Bien, which is the French for very good, he actually spells the word Très wrong. He has the accent around the wrong way on the E. <laughs> no, I never even noticed that. I didn't really notice that either, to be honest. I think. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, that's. That's amazing. <laughs> I, but you, uh, Matt, you just blew my mind. I, I studied French all through high school, and it's everyone who knows me from the MC. I, I was a big Francophile for a long time, and even to Absolutely. a degree, still am. With, um, I'll say Moulin Rouge was one of the early series that just kind of set my worldview a long time ago and it just a little detail like that but it really I agree of how much I appreciate the localization that went into the Phoenix Wright games and how they I did not realize there was that much lore to really just make the sort of Japanese West Coast work Why I think by the sixth game they're putting in like full on Rakugo performances in, in a sober chef and it's like come on. Yeah, exactly. that I like that <laughs> I like that. Um of course, um one of the reasons I remember this this thing being raised up is because there was an American Disney movie that ended up doing the exact same thing, though incredibly intentionally. And uh of course that was a uh, Big Hero Six. Which uh, of course part of it was the whole Japanese y west coast pretty much 
just uh, with yeah, Sam Frocchio or whatever it was, yeah. Yeah, Sam Frocchio, and they had like those, the Golden Gate Bridge had those like, uh, uh, what's the word for them? Um, those, those, they, they uh, look pagodas. like, arches. no, not pagodas, they're, they're like arches basically, but they're like, uh, I, I remember, I think it's Tory uh, Gates. That's it. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. That's it. So they had Tory gates there, and they had all this, all this sort of stuff. I think even in the video, I think there's even a Tokyo Tower somewhere in the skyline. I may, I forget exactly. It's been a while <laughs> since I've seen it. Um, I've never been to San Fran, but I've actually, due to a n number of reasons, I've gotten better at recognizing its geography. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's. I, I think everyone wants to escape from that city and hence everyone uh, recognizes the design of that city <laughs> you just you see a tanker truck barreling down any street of san francisco and go i know where that is <laughs> <laughs> just watch out for blades Yes. <laughs> yes just just in just on the embarcadero there are just random saw blades that pop up <laughs> wait what <laughs> Sorry, wait. Um, the oh. general version of uh, the escape with the truck chase. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, the, yes, yes. City. Oh, how did I take me. No, how did I not know? No reason. That yes, got. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the trucks. Oh, I cannot believe I didn't get that right now. Um, you know, I, I find it actually interesting because. Um, you know, of course, the Man of the Year animated short from the uh, from the Sonic Jam collection, that animated short in the uh, in the Saturn game, um, that place that also takes place in a version of San Francisco, and uh, mm -hmm. and effectively, if if you fudge the geography a little, then uh, Robotnik's play, base uh, takes place in Alcatraz. That's I appreciate that. Yeah, um, if you if you actually if you watch the short more, you notice a lot of familiar architecture like the Tudor houses. But it gets more interesting than that because it's clear that the man of that this version this now is of course a lot more of a glowing, lot more you know. There's even a Trans America period pyramid, but it's got kind of like this middle uh, mid '90s sort of CGI bright sort of look to it as well. And this whole aesthetic was also ported over to Sonic Adventure because. If you notice in the animated short, he, you're introduced Sonic running on the sides of buildings. What is the first thing he does in Sonic Adventure as he's introduced? He runs on the side of buildings. Um, At Dawn of Speed Highway even seems to take, even makes that whole gameplay thing of running on the side of buildings as well. So, um, and if you look at Station Square, they are elements that just do echo that short. So even though Station Square, people always said it was like a representation of New York City, it's also kind of evocative of this short, which was inspired by San Francisco, which kind of gives, you know, kind of widens its inspirations for uh, Station Square. Now that's fascinating, because I know, I, I remember back when Station, Station Square and Sonic Adventure, one of the reasons why I love the original Sonic Adventure so much is because of how much it drew from everything of the series to that point where you find yet another reference and homage that I didn't even know anything about the Sonic Jam Man of the Year references there. Um, oh, yeah. yeah it's, it, it's interesting. I remember because a lot of old MCers, because 
uh, what what is it? Pittsburgh has a station square, so <laughs> they. I remember some individuals how they documented places that had that that had that evocative feel of what corresponded to the game, which was well, which was kind of a fun point of identity so many years ago, and it, it really is interesting about how Station Square was designed because I remember going. I didn't think. New York now, like New Donk City of Super Mario Odyssey. Oh yeah, that is just it's yeah. New York period. New York with a new coat of paint. But it, yeah. it really is interesting. I didn't re- ever correspond that with San Francisco and Station Square. Yeah, um well it's it's obviously not completely Station Square. I mean obviously Sonic Adventure too. There you've got San Francisco. Um mm. and you know, even if you look at the world map, you can kind of see the marina on it and such. You can sort of see this sort of shape. It doesn't have the mixed grid system, but it it's very similar. And um, then, of course, um, there's that island that's a prison. Now it's in a completely different place and probably made it bigger and moved it. But it, it, I think I think that might, I think that's sort of a parallel with Alcatraz. But, yeah. So, so that's where Shadow was held, in, in Alcatraz, I guess. <laughs> um, and, of course, uh, I doubt... where that damn fourth Chaos Emerald was. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, the pyramids are near there, but by that stage, I think it's just... I think they're just putting them on the same map because it's convenient. But, um, yeah, it... I think that's part of my theory that every video game actually takes place in a civilization world. (laughs) (laughs) Does does that mean every game has a nuclear Gandhi? (laughs) What? The, like, it's the only way Professor Layton games can work. We've got like the Aztec ruins in the desert. That's like a short journey from where Layton grew up in rural England. You know? <laughs> oh man, that 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 works so well. I mean, I've always gone with the whole like theme park mentality. I.e., you've got several different gigantically distinct areas that are in walking distance of each other, practically. <laughs> Uh, but civilization, I haven't heard that one before. It, 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 it works. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like I, I did look into, um, and speaking of actually Sonic Adventure being inspired by, uh, by the Man of the Year short, it was also very, the opening was also very in, clearly inspired by the Sonic OVA, but that's, that's a lot more obvious, I would have thought. Because you know Sonic is on Sonic is lying on a recliner, and then Tails is screaming, and then the plane seems to crash or is about to crash or whatever, and so he runs across a beach and across a cliffside to save. And you know, it's just it's a it's basically the same thing happens in both. Uh, I'll say, knowing that very loud, colorful vibe of Sonic in the '90s, it's really interesting to see how it's influenced the series, going even to Mania and the very lush palettes. I, a, a friend who is a developer but grew up primarily on Nintendo systems, I remember showing her Sonic CD and how it had such a different design aesthetic from what she was used to where the bright colors almost seemed to be too much. And it's, it's such a charm of the Sonic series that it is its own thing with colors and big music and everything that really took advantage of the increasingly large palettes of each game and then getting into I remember hunting on my dial-up modem years ago to find those few rare uh, Japanese Sega Sonic images that somehow released out that had those very bold hot pink color palettes and things that were just 
the very bubbly feel that got toned down a little bit for the Western market. Well, at least the U.S. market, anyway. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely bright back there. Um, so, uh, you know, speaking of uh, of real world locations, um, you know, we, I mean, I remember you were speaking about uh, like Station Square. I've actually was there recently. I well, not recently. It was a year or two ago. But I was I I tend to go to Pittsburgh for a convention, and uh, I, finally our friends made it. Me and my friends made a trip there, and of course, I started playing the Station Square music on my phone and waving it about, um, <laughs> which was, you know. And I've heard, I think, yeah, and, and I think, sorry, Keith, have you been to the Station Square area? I'm just trying to think now. Uh, no, no, I, I don't think I have. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, um, sorry, I must have been thinking of someone else there. So, uh, you're right. Um, one thing I did want to know is you, you were saying that, uh, you know, this isn't the first time, you know, we were both, you've met up with, uh, you've met up with Nicholas Petrella before now, haven't you? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, you um, base, yeah. Do you want to go dive into that? Yeah. Uh, actually I do. Um, how the, how me and Mariah, well, I can call him Michael now, um, met was actually kind of funny. Uh, it was around like mid 2013 um i saw this thing on facebook for a free uh voice acting class taught by a woman named uh melanie ehrlich uh, i enjoyed the vo- i enjoyed the free class decided hey i'll you know actually spend the money and you know uh learn to improve a uh, few classes in that's when i met michael and you know we got along swimmingly we talked a bit and we were all cool and it wasn't until like uh years later when I, uh, when I came into this Discord, and you know, and you know, to see Mariah Zikasu, and he mentioned my uh, audiobook work, that I started connecting dots. Wait, Mariah Zikasu, Michael Azikas, <laughs> and what do you mean? I was, and you were, and then he, oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> and so we did meet each other before we actually well we met it's kind of funny me us meeting uh in the forums you know like a few years prior and then meeting each other again and having like no clue that we that we both frequent frequented the same forum oh that there, that is it it was funny because i remember when we had first met there was something where I had seen an email that you were using at the time, and mm-hmm. it was because it was an email that was tied to the Moogle Cavern. I all of a sudden went, "Oh my God, wow, it's a small world!" Because, <laughs> and even there was one class that we had together that was for working on audio engineering. And I, I was I was a little bit of a cheeky scamp in which I had made a reference about drinking wine from the skull of Marlon Brando from <laughs> all of the emotions that my silver italicized serif text had size three had evoked years ago and I just went I wonder wink Actually, I think around the time I started taking classes, I was frequenting the forums less and less. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 
it, uh, it was an old reference, I think, from about 2010 that you might have said. Oh. I, I don't even really remember half the stuff I posted. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was so long ago. But, yeah. Um, it's Yeah, it is interesting how, you know, the both of us pretty much met before we formally met. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. like like yeah. a country of over 300 million people, a form that has, like, at most, like, measured in hundreds, and it's like, do you guys have a voice acting class together? It's just amazing. I mean, there's lots of ways of doing the maths, though, but it's still pretty amazing. <laughs> and around the time, and also I got, uh, I did get Mike uh, to interview, for an interview, uh, when I had my radio show uh, on WVOX. Uh I think I mentioned this before. I think in the first, uh, I think in the first podcast we did. Uh, so uh, forgive me if I'm repeating myself. Uh, back around, it's now coming up on two years ago, uh, when I was working at a radio station in New Rochelle called the WVOX. Uh, I started as a board operator and uh, decided worked there long enough where I decided, hey, also for the for encouragement from my interns to actually start my own show. It was called The Drawing Board, and each episode I would talk about anything animation-related, re mostly anime. I would either talk about a different creator, series, and for the summer, I decided to contact uh, different voice actors, some of which I knew personally, and, uh, you know, get them on the show for an over-the-phone interview. Not only that, uh, for some that were okay with it, I also wrote up small little audio plays uh, that I wrote yeah, I wrote up small little audio plays that I would, uh, in the span of like maybe a week, a week, if, or maybe even a few days before the show, would edit everything together, put in sound effects, music I would find, and put it on air just to show people, hey, I did this, and here's my uh, guest's vocal talents. Uh, what do y'all think? Dimensional Sate Trigander. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that one was great. That one was the, no, the one he mentioned, uh, Trigander. It, it's basically, I basically wrote like a snippet of a, a clip from a fictional anime show. It was episode 15, Cruel Beauty versus Graceful Fury, the blind samurai appears. And Michael got to play uh, the villainous Silver Caesar of the Mega Rome Empire. You, of course, perfectly typecasted me. <laughs> I don't know whatever drew your inspiration for me to be <laughs> such a hammy and cruel villain. <laughs> on, uh. Uh, I, 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 on that note, I appreciate how accommodating you... It was wonderful to do that with you. And I, I admittedly... I was going through a little bit of a tough time there, a lot of stress. I was working for some clients that were, it, it, stories best saved for adult beverages, but how I, I was trying, I, I finally was able to get together, get that recorded to you, and I, th I think you marathoned editing that episode so we could get it on air, and it, it sounded awesome. So Oh, yeah. Thank you for just everything I, you did with that. I've learned something about myself uh, working at working on that show 
for an actual factual station is if there's like a deadline I have to meet and let it be known I wasn't even getting paid for this show I did it for free uh, and I'm lucky to have worked for the station otherwise I would have actually had to pay out of pocket for studio time that I can actually uh, get something done when there's a set deadline so as soon as I get home from work, I'm like, okay, got to finish. Okay, let's see. Three days before the show starts. Okay, work on this. Work on this thing. Okay, edit that one. Get some music. Make sure that's not too loud. Make sure the sound effects are correct. Make sure I get uh, voice clips from uh, YouTuber Urinating Tree, who did the narration uh, for that for that episode, which was awesome, by the way. I'm glad. I I love that he did that. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, when I uh, moved, I had, a, when I moved from, uh, I was living in Greenwich at the time, close to New Rochelle. I, when I had to move, I had to, unfortunately, end the show. But I uh. did do a few episodes, rebranded as a podcast, which I, which I do when I feel like doing it. Right. It's whenever works, you know, when the mood strikes you, basically. Yeah, basically. And even then, you know, I gotta like plan everything. Usually, asking like maybe a week in advance for like certain people to come on, and if you know I get a bite, okay, oh, then you know, uh, you know, then work from there. Yeah, no, I. I don't. Had you ever thought of doing it like a live talk show? Maybe that you would do it on Twitter. That you might bring your guests on and then interview them there. Uh, that's an idea. But I also, but also, I know I gotta like, you know, market. I gotta bring it up more, because um, I'm also working on like other things at the moment. Uh, one of them uh, is this uh, audio play I've been writing for like the past uh, year and a half, um, and I think I mentioned it in the in the chat too. But I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, so I've been taking a little bit of a hiatus from voice acting. Um, I, I'm doing an audiobook now, but but um, I've been uh, more or less working on uh, this play uh, since last since again about a year and a half ago uh, called uh, "Remember the Dream Girl," which I had based off an actual dream I had. Uh, you know, a few months into moving to Brantford and getting a job. Yes. Uh, yeah, for now, for those of you who, may, for those of you who are hearing this for the first time, I had this dream where I'm walking in the, the snow-covered mountains in the middle of the night up to this wooden cabin. Uh, when I get there at the porch, I'm wiping my feet off. I'm wiping my feet on the mat. Uh, all of a sudden, the door opens, and this blonde Caucasian wearing a white cocktail dress comes up and hugs me and says, you will always be loved. It's at that moment I woke up in the middle of the night you know, still uh, reeling from the memory and actually did something I never do when I have a dream like that is actually write it down. Hmm. And I thought this was going to be like a weird spiritual journey. Uh, I was fully ready to like give up all my possessions, live out in the woods. No, I'm just kidding. I wasn't going <laughs> to do that. <laughs> but it, it did give it did give me like a feeling of like, what was that about? Am I going to have it again? I never did. But it did give me the idea of making... Yeah, a basically a basic romantic uh, fairy tale where this guy named Darren Shaw uh, has this dream about a girl in the cabin and keeps going into it 
and soon they start talking to each other. He learns about her world and basically that she's lonely. She's been around for millennia doing this and she's lonely and sad. And, you know, a romance forms between dimensions. I'm almost done with it. I'm going to see if I can hammer it out tonight or in the coming weeks. Because whenever I think about the story and think, oh, that's a good idea. And then actually sit down and write it. I'm like, that's shit. That's horrible. Oh, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I, I, I get you. You just exhibited the creator's dilemma, which, all right, show of hands, who here has gone, all right, I made a thing. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and add to that the worry that, oh, dear gosh, I've just revealed something way too personal in my work. <laughs> but, yeah. And, yeah, and the other thing about this is uh, I plan to make it a paid production. Um. And this is a few things. Uh, A few of the reasons I want to do this is not only to teach myself about budgeting for a project, you know, just like, okay, I got to set aside this bit of money here for whoever I get to play the girl, uh, work out a deal with uh, my musician friend and see, and if he gets anybody else on to see what their rates are and stuff like that. But it's also uh, what I feel is my personal best way of uh, networking with creative types because i've learned from what i've learned uh over the the past year and a half i'm not a city person i don't like i don't like you know the crammed in feeling of big cities like new york or even westchester and networking especially in New York City, where there, when there was, like, crowds of people in an event, just made me feel, you know, more... Uh, I also have a high-functioning okay. autism, so it's like a cacophony, cacophony of, uh, of, like, di- of, like, sounds and talking coming out of everywhere. It's sensory overload, as right. it were. And this, for me, is just, I think, a better way to, like you know, get people together to make something that I made and they know and I, and to also again, budge, learn how to budget. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish you the very best with that. I mean, it's it's your own personal project. You'll be obviously networking with a lot of cool people for it and uh, I wish you the best in making it. Thank you. Definitely starting off small with this one, getting a cast of maybe of four at most. Sounds good. With any time you do something new, you've got to start small. And unless you want to be like me and get overly ambitious and have it fail because you've taken on way more than you can comprehend and then have it fail and then feel terrible about yourself and then think you're completely not going to... It's just... Right. Like you, you've got to start with small like, versions. Yes. Uh, what was about revealing personal stuff in your work again? I'm sorry, say again, Matt? Sorry, what was personal stuff in your work again, sir, folks? Um, what, what personal stuff? Well, I mean, like... Yeah, part... I understand that's what you just did. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of... Actually, I was going to talk a bit about this. Um, game development, largely, because, of course, everyone's heard about it, learning a few things about programming and wanting to make an entire video game. So, um, mm-hmm. actually, actually and is there anything else you want to talk about, Nick? Because I kind of might move on to this, if, if that's okay. Uh, yes, the only other thing... I want to talk about is I'm doing another audiobook on the side 
called the Ice Woman Assignment, part of uh, something called the Stark and O'Brien uh, thriller series. Um, basically, it's about two people, uh, Felicity O'Brien and her partner, Morgan Stark, who mm. work as, I guess you could say, trouble consultants. This particular story has them uh, going after a woman named Anaconda, who's head of a drug cartel called, called the Escorpionistas, making a brand new drug known as Ice. Okay. Cool. I'm only a few chapters in. Uh, it's written by Austin S. Camacho. And so far, and things have been so far so good. Awesome. Awesome. Great to hear. So, um, regarding my game development, um, whew, uh, this is a bit of a story. Uh, game development, along with web development and programming, is kind of my closest thing. I is my main the main thrust of my career basically um which has been had its own twists and turns you were saying earlier about how creativity can be tricky and that's especially careers because you're because things aren't constant it's project to project rather than any sort of long-term job and it can be a bit like that as well um basically uh, like everyone else i tried to start by making gigantic rpgs and great big sweeping things and got overloaded and then had a lot of real life like programming take over there's a story about uh, Terry Kavanagh, who's actually also an Irish game developer, and he started by trying to make an RPG, then gave up, and then started doing just game jams, and that's how he developed simple games, such as Super Hexagon and the letter V6 yes. times. Exactly. So I, I just, pardon my aha moment, I just was thinking about that one of, I, I love Super Hexagon. <laughs> yes, exactly. Please continue to let me yeah, no, it is a good game, um, and I've played it, and that's what he learned about not taking on gigantic projects, but just focusing on a bunch of game jams, getting simple, developing stuff. Because, I mean, like, when we were growing up, video games were pretty simple. It's conceivable that one person could develop uh, some of the really simple games, like the 8-bit games, but although even then it's tricky because you're dealing with music assets as well as programming. Even in a simple form, video games are very multidisciplinary, which is another issue because unless you're good at everything, like, you know, like um, Toby, Fo you know, the Toby Fox who does Undertale, who could, like, make pixel art and program and make music or... Or Pixel, who also, like I said, can make the art, programming, and music, and design, and like, and play testing, and it's like, seriously, there's one or two genius people who can make an entire game all by themselves, and the rest of us, we have to either try to get enough of it over the finishing line that we can get other people involved, or, especially when we're starting out, just make a game so simple like that you can and and skimp out on a couple of the areas that we're not good at that it still comes together more or less kind of okay um these are yeah these are lessons i've learned over such a long period of time though because starting out it was it was different um my first you know i try to take on the i try to like chase the large projects um the first projects was actually Back in the Moot Cavern, once again, I remember his name, Elliotro. Uh, there's a fan of Sonic. Mm -hmm. he, uh, loved uh, BOS, I believe, the operating system, um, I, which I think I looked into, and it was like a successor to the Amiga operating system, but different. Um, he was quite an advocate of that. And he also had something involving Sonic's noses, um, which is something else I won't... I won't go into right now um, because I don't understand it. But <laughs> I do remember it was either him or someone else. They had this whole site determined, like categorizing different types of of Sonic noses. Like there was there was like jowl tilted when they raised their nose up in a in a in a in a scornful manner, like you know, like like Sonic's sister in in, in Sonic Underground, 
or patricking. I forget exactly what that term refers to. I think something involving spinning, I think. And we're grabbing it. But anyway, that was a that was that was Eliotrope, but he also worked on other stuff such as a Big Blue Cup, which was the um which was just think of a Sonic fan game. Now you're now realize that your thoughts are too complex because it's actually more simple. You're basically running a program in Allegro because that was the library you used back then to make the windows and the graphics, and it's basically just an infinite like single level plane. And you've got Sonic, and when you press the jump, and you can move him left and right. And if you move him right and long enough, you go off the infinite plane and go in midair, but you still keep running because that's hard coded in. And you jump, and he does the most awkward jump. Now. This was simple stuff, but I mean, like, apparently it was a fan game project and apparently it abandoned it, but I got me excited. And then, of course, there was the big one, my real introduction, the MC RPG, i.e. the Moogle Cavern role-playing game. This, whoa. Um, this was kind of like my big project. This was, this was when, this was kind of how I learned to program. <laughs> Out of all things, and I was actually doing a programming course just around this time. I finally wanted to make video games. I My parents talked me out of doing a specific game development course. So I went into a more general, uh, you know, computer science course, which was which was good in a lot of ways. I won't go... It taught me... It taught me Motorola Pro 68K programming, which, of course, is used in Mega Drives. But now I don't use it because there's a C++... There's a C library that's... as That's so much easier called, say, SGDK. But that's a side issue. Um... <laughs> Sorry if I'm going too fast. Well, Sonic podcast, so. Um, but we gotta go fast. Yes. <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> Thank you. Race Thank mode you. for who can make the reference as quickly as possible. Yes. Rolling around at the speed of MP3 recording. I am the Eggman. I've got the master plan. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Got a reference fast. <laughs> Derailing this radical train. <laughs> <laughs> yes, me too. Yeah. I'm okay. Nice. Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, so, essentially, um, yeah. Um, so, to give you the quick abridged version, as I wrote up on the Moogle Cavern Wiki at one stage, essentially, some guy posted, I forget who the original person was, and said, you know, like, I, you know, like, know any good MC or. Could I, go, could I know any good online role-playing games out there? And some somehow this got caught as saying, yeah, you know, like we could make we could make our own Moogle Cavern role-playing game, you know, our own MMO, MC MMO, which actually would have made more sense than MC RPG because you know there's nothing online about MC RPG. But anyway, um, and so people were getting really excited, you know, we could make this. And uh, Elliot, of course, it was all just discussion back and forth. And Elliot Tro spent one weekend coding out something that technically worked and um, one person needed to run a server on their computer everyone else needed to run the client and then type in the ip address of that person's computer and then bish bash boosh it would it would actually work using really basic stuff and um, you and he even like had an area now i forget this was the first game pro project i was involved with and it excited me so much well i mean like i said hey can i help and he released some of the source code and i said great i'm gonna dive into this so i dove in and i realized you know no, I tell a lie. The first thing I noticed was that if you moved Sonic up to a wall and like like if there was a corner and you move Sonic upwards into the corner and you tapped and you turned to face the other side of the corner, you couldn't. 
And I didn't like this, you know, he had to, in order to turn, he had to move. So I said, I want to code this game so that it actually, Sonic can actually turn into the face of the walls. So I coded that in and um, I took it down and I learned through the code and I was gradually learning coding for the first time and I got it working. And then I, um, I had to get up the development environment. I've been trying to learn for a while since then. And then there were a couple of other things, you know, I wanted levels. I want you to be able to switch from level to level. I, you know, oh, I, I, there was a, there was a level editor. I made tweaks of that. Kulik made a suggestion that if you right click on a tile, then your currently selected tile becomes that tile. And honestly, I've loved that piece of user face ever since that it's something I've kept in mind in any sort of art program I've worked on or developed with. It is so convenient to just have the color dropper tile uh, just, just bounce to basically right click. It's just so good, um, especially for simple tools. So um, I even developed the first level. I tried to do basic rock shading. I got that set up. Um, I went through a few versions and there was even one thing with Wizard Moogle where we had a fun fun uh, online session and we just kind of did a whole ORP where we chatted around. But uh, sorry, I haven't even described it. It was basically a graphical if top down like an RPG, 2D pixel art. You can move your character around and if you type something into the bottom of the screen it will be posted. But the great advantage of it was that um, any, but other people could join too. And so you could have different people walking around, usually with horrendous lag, because it was still pretty new. And, uh, and it was awesome. Um, I better truncate this because I'm kind of going on quite a bit about the Moogle Cavern. But, Actually, but out of curiosity, so, so Fox, I, I was trying to remember the exact year when you had produced that. Because I remember it was somewhere, it, it was somewhere kind of in the my foggy memory between about 2005 and 2010 what how what was the engine you used was that uh using was that uh, using a multimedia fusion or was there another oh no uh, c++ and allegro um you use c++ for... okay. yeah wow that's how i learned to program it was literal programming i yeah uh, <laughs> starting uh, talk about starting from the largest scale Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm scared of C plus plus. Um, you should be. Um, it's memory allocation is a pain. World. Yes. Literally, any, any pro, literally, do not get involved with a programming language that has memory allocation in it. Actually, um, technically speaking, I'm doing some Arduino programming, which is C. Well, it's C, not C plus plus, so it's not quite as bad. But I still managed to completely. Damn. Well, not brick, thankfully, but I still managed to break the program every time I accidentally overwrote an array. <laughs> it's it's memory for those who don't know memory allocation imagine like everyone imagine a large stretch of land and everyone is allocated a field memory going overrun is like when you have your plow that's plowing up potatoes and you run straight into the orchard which is someone else and start cutting down all these trees because you haven't respected the boundaries between all these fields properly and then because the apple trees have been damaged you've now caused a huge mush for someone else and it screwed everything up and then it, everything goes into yeah you get along very well with a friend of mine who primarily codes in c sharp now c sharp having garbage cleanup so you don't have to worry about the memory allocation and funky yes. leaks that you would with c plus uh, plus but of course being a developer and a q and it was a formerly an enterprise qa she had managed to often manipulate the game so she'd get these massive memory leaks and things she'd program in c-sharp which you're not supposed to be able to do it's just how did you how, how much did you manipulate this that you have managed to create memory leaks in a programming language that was supposed to not have any of those <laughs> 
there are actually ways. Um, it's like basically, um, you know, if you've got the main program and if it references an object, as long as that object is referenced, it's 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 held in memory. But if that reference is breaked and the object is just adrift, it gets wiped away. But what happens if you reference two objects and then the rough objects reference each other and then from the main program, you break the connection to the two objects. Well, technically, now that the main connect program has broken connection to the two objects, they should be cleaned up. But they are referencing each other, so they're still technically linked to something. They're just not linked to anything else aside from there. So the memory cleaner comes around and says, should I clean this up? Oh, no, wait a second. Object A is referenced by object B. Well, therefore, I shouldn't clean it up. And what about object B? Well, it's referenced by object A, so I shouldn't clean up. Well, I guess I'll just leave it there. And then you... <laughs> And then your computer starts generating blue smoke as it goes, oh my god, you've completely overloaded my memory. Pretty much, yes. Everything goes slow. It's, 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 garbage collection isn't a magic bullet. It's, but it just does make some things easier. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I had a, I wanted to make video games the, I wanted to learn how to program, make video games the, uh, quotes right way i've still learned that especially for your earlier project do whatever it takes just make a game because even if you're not learning programming you still might be learning game design or art or at least the whole thing of how to put a game together because there's a whole skill of putting the elements together as well as just making the individual elements in the first place and of course blaze of course you know i spent all this time programming and like blaze hedgehog with his multimedia fusion ended up making like a well-known sonic uh, sorry mario fan game so uh that so yeah um so to go back to it yeah it was c plus plus um it actually caused bit me in the end because when i was trying to impre in, improve the networking i it all became so i started involving doing something called threading which was its own complete thing and it just became so complex that when it stopped working i just didn't know how to approach it again and i ended up abandoning it and then coming back to it like years later and then suddenly realizing it was a simple problem but i just being over daunted so um such a mess though it's so yeah, difficult it, to program you, for online yeah yeah when you are programming especially in your language like c++ it's very easy to overthink things and just get tied up in like the specific issue that you're having and then i remember doing this at one point when i was trying to code something and i forget what it was but um just getting stuck on something and then all of a sudden i'm sitting in the bus on the way home and all of a sudden bang wait that's it that's what i needed to do all night <laughs> it's just it's amazing like how and when after completely not thinking about something just walking away from you can just have the sudden inspiration as to what was the problem all along oh yeah total agreement going for a walk or something i remember actually i remember distinctly even after all this time i was desperately trying to work out how to allocate the maps the memory alloc i was trying to figure out okay i've got this map but how do i arrange it in memory because you know a map has a lot of different attributes and it was like when i was like walking you know around near my house that i suddenly had a brainwave of oh, okay this is how i get this is how i arrange it together and i mean like it was tricky because i was implementing level switching i, I implemented a lot of features in the early version level switching a new level letting other people commit commit uh add their levels like ruby cuff slap uh um, Ruby Clough's Slayer, I think. Ruby Cuff, anyway. She she committed, I think, uh, some levels. And that was pretty cool. And uh, it's just... Was that Ruby from the MC or a different Ruby? Yeah, that, that Ruby, yeah. We actually... Um, oh, okay. 
Yeah, Ruby and I, hang on a second. Ruby and I, I think even like a, like linked or, you know, did that kind of like a mini web ring with each with each other's site. Basically, you know, shared mutual links to each other's site. So yeah, Ruby was pretty cool. I don't know what she's up to these days. Um, I haven't heard from her in years. Yeah. I forget if it was. But um, I believe she contributed levels. I think maybe, the, I remember there was also like one of a map with like do your Yajrobics sort of gym area sort of thing, which was fun. Um, so there were a lot of there were a lot of uh, cool little elements to it, and um, and getting other people's levels involved, and I, ha I came up with plot and thing. The, the, the scope just got bigger, but like I said, I tried to expand it, and I just got overloaded. And in the end, I kind of dropped. It's probably I don't know whether burnout or just getting tired. But I made a lot of progress by then, and we chatted to a lot of people. And I think that's it. I think Scott Prower even was happy to. We needed the server running on someone's computer, which would run 24-7, and Scott Prower volunteered, so that worked out pretty well. Um, over the years, I tried to do a, lot, a couple of different versions. I went to my computer science course. I decided, I know, I'll pro you know, I fixed that networking area after I cut back to it a bit. I wanted to program it on SDL because the dream was hanging around for a while. And, you know, I really wanted to create, like, a vibrant place with action and fun. Oh, that's it. I think we even submitted to... I think Eliotro submitted it to Sage at one stage, but uh, Eliotro lost interest uh, before I did, so then... But I kept coming back to it. Uh, I tried to reprogram an SDL. That kind of didn't go the best. Uh, over the years, a few others. Finally, after lots of years of gaining so much programming experience, both from a web development company, from college, from different sources... I finally says, I've got to slay this once more. So I created a version that was entirely HTML, uh, digging up the old files. I focused just on one map because I figured unless we, there was no point adding the other maps until there was more thing. I still had all the uh, all the uh, the things like Twister, which is uh, the Green Hedgehog, which is this Miles thing, which is fun because that's pretty uh, Miles isn't here right now. But uh, yeah, and... Um, Basically, I created a fully a full version that worked in the web browser. I think I created a version before that, but I finally created this final version. I released it in Sage. I had a couple of interests. A couple of people joined, and I chatted with them because it was just a link to a website. And it went well for a while, and then about like a year later, the uh, the, the web server you know closed down because they stopped. They canceled all the free payment plans. So yeah, I mean like. By the time I finally had the skill to finish it, it just didn't seem that the interest was there. It was more of a nostalgic thing and there weren't enough people there at once. Oh, and of course, there weren't any goals that you actually had to achieve. <laughs> it was still just kind of like a chat room that would, that had like avatars that you could move around and read humorous descriptions. But I had some help with that version and it was it was nice. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to actually going back to it and doing more, but I'd need to actually have like an idea of what you do in there besides chat to each other. I originally had an idea for a bunch of mini games and like little, and maybe a point system and a trading card system and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I never really got that far with that. So, oh yeah. And having, oh yeah. And also be able to, yeah. Yeah. I guess it's a tough thing. Cause I think of the two since it was, I'm trying to remember the timeline. seems like it was pre Minecraft where Minecraft Roblox and VR chat seem to be three of the big ones where there are activities to do in addition to playing it socially. Yeah. Was just trying to think of what kind of functionality could be added because it probably would come down to the, the mini games, but 
I, I guess it would get into the challenging thing, though, of just y you have to do so much programming for the networking to make sure that things are stable for everyone to play together ah. and get new hosting. Yeah, well, I mean, these days hosting is as easy as just starting up an AWS instance. There's so many, there's so much tech that's become so much easier these days, and I have I have a bit of money so that I could keep something on a on a yearly basis now, and I also don't have that fear of like I used to have a fear of having anything hosted because if if my credit card changed, it would fall off the internet. But I'm I'm more I think I pay more attention to stuff like that. So I mean, I've grown as a person and. Keep in mind, regardless, and the MCRPG still, like, helped me learn how to code in the first place. Like, certainly, I was, I, I think some of the stuff, I was still in my computer science course. So, I'd learn stuff in the computer science course, I'd match to what I was trying to code at home, and then I'd bring it back and such. Uh, the SDL thing also happened when I was doing course, but it was far more intensive. By the moment the course struck up, it was just overloaded me with so much stuff that I didn't have time to focus on it. But that was a later course. The, the earlier course... So this would have been about 2003, I guess. 2002 to 2004, I guess, was the original time of doing the um, original MS Moogle Cavern RPG coding. And um, yeah, it was just... I just really wanted that fun social online place where people could just hang out and just do fun things. But I didn't want to... I, I wanted to have like some PSO mechanics and like some like adventures and such, but it just... I guess that's, it goes back to what I was saying. That would have been a huge, that was still a huge undertaking. I mean, yeah. and and to, to know that you could make so much progress, like work on a work on a game, and like even the original version, I needed someone else's help to get started with. But I still evolved on that. Just because you can't make everything yourself doesn't mean you can't make a huge stride forward, usually with, in fact, having a, a nice bit of help in just the right areas can just really boost how far you can go forward with something. And uh, and that's something I've had to learn because I I wanted to do everything by myself. I wanted to have like a credit sequence, which was just my name in it. But uh, no, no, that's that's not how the world works. Even a book, one of the most so solitary pursuits, like you go to the back page and it's full of acknowledgements. Like there's so many people like without who this book would not be possible. I mean like. Even with writing, you read other people's books. Even with video games, you're playing other video games to get inspiration from. And with an MMO, you still need other people to actually play it, to actually make the content of the game, which is one of those interesting things about it. So it's like I learned so much then, but some of the lessons I had to learn didn't have to do with the programming. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I've learned them because I still have the same goals of just wanting to make fun stuff that, like that is cool and that I enjoy and that other people enjoy, but I realize it's, you know, I don't have to like play the role of some single amazing visionary who applies himself and creates something wonderful and then burden myself with the responsibility that if I don't reach that level, then I'm a failure, which is ridiculous because dear gosh, if you've done as much work and as progress, that is amazing. As, as I, you know, as I've done, it's amazing. It's amazing how many steps forward you can make. But if you set your goal at 100 steps and make 99, then that is a huge achievement. But if you, with the wrong mindset, you treat it as a failure because you're still one step short. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, that's how I, I feel. I think I, I think I used to have the, feel the same sort of way actually where I am um, like 
things, the, the projects I worked on, like, I wasn't, I probably could have asked for a lot of help in, in areas where I was not, um, you know, very good. Like, I'd try to do projects and I'd try to do art for them, and not quite enough. I probably could have been, you know, asking for help from people that I never actually went ahead and did. Yeah. It's kind of a nice thing about being in a creative field where we can collaborate because of course to do everything yourself is exhausting <laughs> uh, there was there was a radio play i did a few years ago where i i did all the audio engineering and recording and it was it was a month of long nights while i was maintaining a full-time while i was also maintaining a full-time job and just figuring out where to focus figuring out how to scope a project and recognize accomplishments i know with Nick and I doing voiceover with Nick, you work primarily in audiobooks. I am scared to death to touch them because I know I can't I, I I can't fathom being able to manage them and how much planning you have to do and staying on task. And yes, same thing with Yeah. It's a lot, a lot of work. Uh, sometimes I get a book where there's one chapter that's like uh that's about an hour, where I get in an hour of unedited audio it takes me all day to get it down to a manageable 20. So yeah, audiobooks are a lot of work. Yeah. A lot and, of work. And radio plays too because you have that you have just as many moving parts as a video game. But mm -hmm. to recognize when that comes together like SoFox, everything you're saying with learning something new, developing something new, always wanting to do something new, finding it more efficient, it's it's that wonderful thing of creation that just you can figure out a new solution and go oh that's how i take that hundredth step this time yeah no it's i've i've taken like i've taken so many steps since then and like as i said i've even created an educational app and i'm working with miles in another game and it's like and i've even created games uh, yeah there was another game i created professionally but one thing i've another thing i've learned is that you know, we all want to be like professionals, maybe, you know, in the sense of, you know, experts, people who really know how to do this thing. But part of being an expert isn't just being able to know how to solve a problem. It's being able, sorry, it's it's not just, you know, people have this, what I mean to say is people have this idea that experts don't encounter barriers, but experts do encounter barriers. It's just that they've developed technique, they've, they're better at overcoming the barriers. And if they do that by actually getting help from other people, then they're not they're willing to do it it's just you know you your job is to get over the barrier it's not to do it all do everything yourself and and i've and i've yeah I, overall i've learned a lot about that and uh and like i said uh moogle, Ca moogle cavern rpg was kind of like my first game programming project it wasn't my, it wasn't it certainly wasn't my last and there's been a lot of different projects since then i mean maybe not maybe not the full-on solid like whole game that i really want to push out there just yet i mean hopefully petrichor which miles and i are working on will be will be far more along those lines but i've made even made short games in my itch on uh, my itch thing and even done a fun little mega drive game recently which uh which is basically just pong with dragons but it was still a bit of fun Ooh, did you i i'm not sure if i remember seeing that one. Oh, uh flame ball it's on my itch page which i go by the name of SoFox because but um essentially yeah um even um Hang on a second. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. 
Yeah, Keith, Keith, you got it running on a, you actually got it running on original hardware, didn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I wound up putting it on my uh, Mega EverDrive and wound up playing it on an actual Genesis. Yeah, nice. Exactly. It's I a, work. Thank you. And did you did you have anyone to play with it, or was it just a single controller? I guess. Ah, uh, no, it was just a single controller, unfortunately. But one of these days, I'll have a proper two-player match in that game. Cool. Well, you 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 know where to get it as as you can. Uh, basically, it's it's. It's Pong with Dragons. There's a flame that goes back and forth, but you actually have to manually swap the, the flame ball to get it back and forth. And it's called Flame Ball. And it's available on all good itch stores for the free download, although you'll need to provide your own emulator and or original hardware. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And, uh... Did, did you have local multiplayer on that, at least? Yeah, no, that it's only local multiplayer. It's, it's uh... It's, I don't even have an AI thing. It's basically one pad controls one dragon, the other pad controls the other dragon. You know, you basically play against each other until one of, one of you wins. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Um, and yeah, and, and Keith, I feel we've been like kind of leaving you a bit out of the conversation. Is there anything else you wanted to say, like maybe regarding your, anim- your animation projects or your own views on everything? <laughs> Not not that I can think of offhand. I, I do want to say that, like, one thing I think is really cool about uh, video games as a creative medium is how they're sort of inherently iterative. Uh, yeah. In that, you know, if you were to make a small project, like a tiny small project, then you could, like, build upon it in order to make, like, the next project. Like, in the sense that, like, you know, video games lend themselves really well to sequels because you could just, like, sort of build off of what you've made and it's not, you know, it doesn't feel, like, lazy or something like that in the sense that, like, say, Sonic 1 is relatively simple compared to Sonic 2 that, you know, built upon it and, like, added features and made levels longer and then, like, that went to Sonic 3 and Knuckles and, you know... You, they added characters and things got bigger and better or even like the smash brothers games where like you know you start out with a a small roster in the original and they've just been like iterating and building over the years and it gets like more impressive and more impressive uh in that sense you know it's really great that you can you know start off small uh in a you know interactive creative project like that and build upon it whereas like with movies or something like that, you know, a lot of people complain that, like, you know, the the new Star Wars is too yeah. similar to the old one, but with you know better effects. But when you like build off of a game, you know, that can be like super cool in comparison, if that makes sense. You know, it, I get. Oh, Nick, you were gonna say? No, I'm just I'm just agreeing with Keith. I get what you're saying, but about building off building off a, a video a, a sequel to a video game yeah yeah it's definitely nice to look at the skills you learn along the way i remember some of your animations years ago where you had done you had taken the old alka seltzer audio and then rotoscoped <laughs> squish's face as right. well as yours for that and developing up that technique where it's just oh new tool in the box or developing a game and then suddenly well great you got the back end where you can easily handle 
what's being done. Uh, one developer, she she constantly reuses her audio boilerplate to interface with FMOD because it's just ready. And that next step, it, it's amazing and wonderful to then track the progress each step of the way. No, I yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think all art is a bit iterative in some ways, but I think with movies, people that the, 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 the teams keep changing, and I think that's how it is with a lot of things. Video games are actually... I mean, you do hear about teams being abandoned, but I, I do remember, how though, um, like someone said that like with movies, the sequel usually sucks compared to the first one, but with video games, the sequel is usually better than the second one. And I mean, that applies to most games, which was... Well, although I've got a bit of a... Although there's always the chance things will get screwed up, especially if it's by a different team, like, who, who doesn't quite appreciate the spirit of the original game and or if they start with a new engine. Or, um, or like, I mean, even Deus Ex. It was, Deus Ex 2 was more or less the same team and the people and the same spirit, but they were trying a new engine that was trying to work with consoles and that just caused all sorts of problems. And... Um, on top of that, um, what was that again? Yeah, and sometimes even and sometimes they even like screw it up. Even if it's the same team, they screw it up. For instance, Jack and Dexter, I love it. It's like one of my favorite games. Jack and Dexter Two, I just got angry about it. And I think even recently we posted uh, messages um, about uh, about some about comments made. Apparently, basically one of the guys in charge of that game basically felt that it wasn't mature enough and so he threw in this twisted version of maturity which involved ripping mechanics off of Grand Theft Auto and shoving them into the game even though they didn't quite fit or make sense or didn't really... Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> but Jack was edgy and so all the kids wanted to be like Jack because... They had a carjacking system involved. You don't put a carjacking system in a platform game. I mean, you know... <laughs> No, even Sonic was better. Sonic just let you stand on top of the cars and let them drive you around Station Square. It's, mm. it's... Although, again, I think Sonic got into that sort of thing as well, eventually, where they, they in later games, they just, like, what's, what's popular right now? Let's take a mechanic from that. Like, you know, Unleashed, you had the Werehog gameplay, which was God of War. Um, in, in Lost World, you had the stealth segments that were, you know, because Arkham. And <sighs> I, we need to find... I think whoever like has the ideas of trying to take these mechanics from other popular games and put them into the Sonic series, and I think fire them into the sun. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, first of all, you are totally right. That owl stealth mission in the Sonic game, it actually helped me understand why you hate... I, I think I failed it so many times, they, the game just gave me a pass and skipped me head to the end. Jeez. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, the, the real the problem with stealth, of course, is that it's antithetical. The whole point of Sonic is that the whole point of a good game is it lets you recover from your mistake. The whole point of a problem with a bad stealth game is it will just immediately lose on the, your first mistake, which even good stealth games actually compensate for that somewhat. Um, but yeah, it was... Um, what was I about to say? Yeah, um, in terms of people keep throwing mechanics, I actually do have some degree of sympathy for the developers because if they're developing a new Sonic game every few years, I can imagine it would drive on. And there's probably also a bunch of marketers that keep trying to force it on, which is annoying. But you're, yeah. you're totally right. I, I, it's something I just suddenly came to me when we were talking about Sonic's music. The next Sonic, Sonic video game, it doesn't need to reinvent everything, but it does need to push things forward. Sonic 
Sonic is about staying somewhat consistent while also trying to race on to the next thing and trying to be adventurous. So I don't want things to exactly stay the same, but I don't want them to be completely turned on their heads. But I don't want them to, uh, but I, you know, I still want them to like make something interesting. And I think I've, I've got a feeling that they're spending more time on this next game. Um, whatever, which I, which hasn't been announced. So I'm just guessing. But it makes sense. Uh, but I have no clue. Hmm? What was that, Matt? I think they did actually say something about how they were going to try and spend more time on Sonic games from now on. Yeah, I think I think I noticed on the stream that like the Ruby Eclipse, aka Aaron Weber, was saying something along those lines. Um, if if it's not completely mismanaged, which most of the Sonic games are, it might actually turn out good. Um, it could turn out to be decent, uh, but it just suddenly occurs to me, you know, you know, the Sonic cycle, um, the, <laughs> yeah, where people get yeah. hyped and then more comes out, they lose their enthusiasm and then it comes out and it's terrible and they recover. It's just occurred to me that Sonic cycle was completely inverted for the Sonic movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes a thing, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I... I suspect Sega and whomever is handling the development of the games has probably realized, okay, yes, there there needs to be a certain fidelity to the fans. I think about what, uh, I think it was Thomas Game, no, I forget who it was, they were discussing Paper Mario, and how with Paper Mario, one unfortunate thing that has really handicapped it as a series has been the push for new mechanics and something that's different so where everyone goes i just want something like the thousand year door i don't care it's the same that was an issue with sonic games for a while where you get new mechanics that never quite worked were never fully baked and the game had to be out by christmas or whatever the deadline was but now as you look at mania where t lopes handling the soundtrack where all of these you listen to it and it's this wonderful pastiche that rearranges everything but to be something new and bigger than it was but to give the game the proper time even with mania plus having been released as dlc dlc i don't know if that was part of the original release that was kind of you know treated as a and knuckles yeah. bit extra bit to get a functioning good solid game the version uh, version of the game out there but yeah, looking at dedicate the time because people will wait. You don't like how Mario games will have about one every five years. So really bake it so that it is just fresh out of the oven and chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely think. I mean, like sometimes you don't gotta go fast, basically. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the game, going fast, kids. Yes, it's okay to go slow, kids. I'm sorry, Matt. What was that? (laughs) In the game, keep going fast. Like otherwise, you get the stealth segment again. But yeah, in the in the development, put all the slowness there. Yeah, and what's interesting with that is even because Sonic Mania, I noticed there were some parts that. I, I suspect Christian Whitehead with how Sonic CD was the first game he ported and a lot of the design aesthetics go with there where it's a sometimes slightly more the more deliberative platforming that went into that versus Sonic 2 
which is such a tough thing to balance because they're they're slightly different play styles and trying to be able to change them elegantly without it getting boring. Yeah, I uh, still haven't. I was. It's I. I didn't play Sonic CD much when it came out, so it's just. It's just interesting how uh, a lot of people, um, how it's got a, it's got such a lot of support, but uh, I still don't. I'm still going. Well, well I guess it was okay, <laughs> okay with everything. I, but... think, I think Sonic CD is great if you're really good at keeping up that momentum and sticking. Like the, it's well designed so that if you if you do keep up momentum, you can hit all of these really cool areas, um, and you can get you know straight to the past checkpoint, you know, straight to the time stone, straight to the Metal Sonic uh, machine in each level. But if you're not good at that, then it becomes a bit of a slog because you're just wandering around trying to find this one platform that you can really only get to if you do 20 seconds worth of stuff perfectly. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll try to dive back in. I guess I never liked the idea of knowing that I'll get a bad future unless I scoured each level sometimes. But yeah, cool. Okay, um, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I think I think it's about time to wrap things up, if that's okay with you guys. Um, we've talked about a lot of cool stuff, uh, like about... as. Uh, as Mirai said, the creators, uh, game development, uh, I guess, and voice acting, and all the pro- all the projects we've been involved with. Uh, there was one or two other things I wanted to talk about. It. We can always save it for another show. Um, guys, uh, 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 Miri, it's been great having you on, uh, and it's been great. And you two, uh, Keith, Matt, and Nicholas, it's it's been awesome having you guys, and I, that was a really cool uh, conversation and chat we had. Thanks so yeah, much. This has been great. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful joining you. And yeah, look forward to when we can uh, get together. And uh, I was trying to figure out a Sonic reference in there, but yeah, we'll skip it for that moment. Ah, that's okay. Got a beam, kid. Exactly. Snooping in my mind as usual, I see. <laughs> uh, this has been great, but I got laundry to take care of and yeah. groceries to get so this has been fun definitely want to do it again uh the next time i feel uh i'm available okay well we'll, we'll chat then about it it's but for now it's been awesome having you guys um is there anything else you want to say before we sign off i think we're good i think yeah you're right real life intervenes but love to be back again all right awesome listen take care everybody i wish you all the very very best and thank you all for uh Keith Stack, Matt, uh, Mirai Suzuki, and uh, Nicholas Petrella. It's been awesome having you all. Um, thank you very much. And and this is me. And this is me, So Fox, signing off. Take care and all the best. Stay way past school, guys. <laughs> <laughs>